I want you to imagine for a second, if you had to have the foundation of your house report. So you got your house, you got your walls, you got your roof, and imagine if someone came along and said, um, you have a problem with your foundation, and we have to tear it out and report it. Okay, um, the wall's starting to fall, the roof's a little shaky, a little uncertain, and we found out that there's a foundational issue that's present, and if we don't address that, then we're going to continue to have issues, and the house has continued to get worse and worse and worse. Um, so this happened to me uh, several years ago, now, now not physically, but spiritually, um, God came to me um, and just began to light me up regarding my foundational views of what I thought I knew better than anybody else, and that's what we call the gospel. So um, for several years, I taught uh, high school Bible at a Christian school, um, and you know, you go to school, you get a theology degree, you go and you teach theology, right? And you learn everything and then you teach it all. Well, um, I found myself confronted. It was right as we were, we were starting this church. And God was just wrecking me in that transition of coming to understand his love and his gospel and just wrecking my view of him. And it was crazy because I'm standing before my students and I told them, it's like the beginning of the year. I'd been teaching for like three years. It's the beginning of the year. And I looked him in the eye and I said, guys, I need to tell you something. God's totally changing my view of him. And all that I've taught for these past years, like he's reworking in my heart. And I can't just continue teaching as is, but I don't really know how it looks going forward. So I just need you to know, like, you're going to join me in this journey. And so for that year, literally, it was me walking side by side, and my students walking side by side with me to understand the gospel. And one of the books that absolutely wrecked me was a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. Absolutely lit me up and wrecked me. And so for that year, it was this journey of, like, like I'm the teacher I'm supposed to, like, I went to school for this, and I'm supposed to know this, but, like, God is just undoing me with the gospel. But I couldn't just continue teaching what I always knew. We come to a story this morning in John chapter 3. You familiar with a guy named Nicodemus? Anybody heard the story of Nicodemus before? One person. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're going to walk through it together. Fresh ground here. All right. This is going to be good. Um, the story of Nicodemus. Uh, let, let's begin to walk through it, and um, we're going to see what happens when a religious man is confronted with the gospel. And let me just tell you, it's, it's painful. It's painful to be at a place where you think you, you, you know the truth of God fully. You think you know, like you've arrived on some level and in this case, Nicodemus, Jesus looks him in the eye and says, hey, we need, to, we need to change some things, some foundational issues. So let's go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, so something you need to know about Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. Um, 
Specifically, if you want to know about Pharisees, go to Matthew 23, and it unpacks all the realities of a Pharisee and how, like, just they knew the law of God in and out. Um, they were really like the spiritual policemen of, of the law, um, which isn't really a good thing. Um, we'll get to that in here in a bit. Um, but more than that, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, and here's what you need to know about the Sanhedrin. Like the Sanhedrin was the, was the religious group of people that um, really put Jesus on the cross. And, and this group, it was a group of 71 people, and really from a, they're the ruling body of the Jews, and from, from the Jewish perspective, like you don't get any better or any higher than being a member of the Sanhedrin. So here's Nicodemus. He's a teacher of the law. He's a member of the highest ruling council. So he's like a lawyer versed and taught in theology. Okay? And at the same time, Jesus shows up and wants to intervene, wants to come and take this guy and and show him what the gospel is. Show him what the truth of Scripture is. Show him who he is as the Son of God. The man came to Jesus by night. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is like this, this guy who's begin to recognize that, that Jesus is a, a, kind of a powerful deal. Like, God's beginning to work in his heart. Um, and what's interesting is, like, it says that, so he goes to Jesus at night. What, what do you make of that? Didn't want to be seen? Didn't want to be questioned over it? Private? So, Nicodemus, okay, nighttime, really in this case is a symbol of his heart. That there's some spiritual darkness here in this religious leader, and what he's doing is he's, he's going at night, maybe in some levels to hide it, but I think maybe in many ways to show like the condition of his heart. That there's some darkness there, there's some like, I, I don't want to fully be known so he goes to Jesus at night, and they begin to, to interact. Um, he's trying to figure out who Jesus is, although he knows he just performed a miracle, right? Turning water into wine. Um, he knows that he just, like, undid all the money swindlers on the outer courts of the temple who were trying to take advantage of those who were coming to, to get access to God. He, know, he knows there's, there's something going on here. This guy's powerful. This guy's done some things. Let's go, let's go check it out. Jesus answered him, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, now, picture this. Nicodemus, an incredibly smart man. One of the highest, okay, like uh, some commentators would suggest that being a member of the Sanhedrin would be being like being a part of the Senate. Okay, Um, you can't really get much higher than that other than like becoming the president. 
Okay, um, so here's this incredibly smart man that has this interaction with Jesus. Jesus begins to confront him, okay, and he says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, look at what Nic- how Nicodemus responds. Nicodemus said to him, uh, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's so like, so picture this. Nicodemus, like in that moment, I believe, walks with a level of cockiness before Jesus. Right? So he's like, must be born, like, what, are you going to like get back in your mom's belly? Like really like confronting him face to face in regards to the gospel, in regards to like born again, like, yeah, we're going to actually get back in there. Like, I'm not going to fit, man. Who are you? Like, I'm a teacher of the law. I'm a teacher of the things of God. Like, I know this stuff. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do here. So there's a level of cockiness. Um, I, I want to, here's what I want to do as we continue forward. Is I want to put some questions before us. As we navigate through, I want to put some questions before us that'll, that'll kind of probe us. Um, and I skipped over one, so I'm going to jump back. David, fire that one up. Um, I want to jump back um, for a second, and then we'll come back to this one. Um, the first question is this. Um, do you ever find yourself entering into the role of spiritual police officer? So Nicodemus is this Pharisee, and oftentimes what a Pharisee will do is, is they'll like, think, I have to stand up for God, I have to like, defend the things of God. Like I'm the spiritual police, and anywhere I see anybody doing anything outside of what God would deem true, like it's my role to correct them. You ever find yourself here? I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and um, he's really changing some things in his life, and making some significant life-changing decisions. And I just began to talk to him and say, man, I'm um, just concerned about this or just want to talk to you about this. And um, just, I wanted to in that moment be the spiritual police officer in his life and be like, you know, listen, here's the deal. And like what the Lord did in my own heart, I had to say to him, listen, I love you. You don't have to answer to me. Like, I care about you and I'm asking these questions, but ultimately like, like, I just want you to, Know the Lord, and you have to answer to the Lord. And, that, and that's your choice. And I just had to, like, let go and be like, I'm not the spiritual police. It's not my job to make sure he does what's right. Man, I can probe him and love him and ask him hard questions and communicate the gospel. But we're going to see in a second, only God can change the heart. Only God can navigate. I don't even know fully what's going on in another's heart, right? But furthermore, we find Nicodemus being this pretty prideful, cocky guy who doesn't understand what's going on. Here's the next question I want to throw at us. Are you cocky with your faith, judgmental in your perspective, or ever find yourself thinking you've arrived under the spiritual example for your friends? Listen, I believe in spiritual examples. This church is led by a group of elders that are to be the spiritual examples to the church. That's biblical, okay? But there's a difference between walking around with the, the, with the view of like, you're supposed to be like me. 
Like, I'm the example to everyone. Like, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Well, just look at me, okay? With a sense of swagger, with a sense of pride. But listen, we don't do it in this cocky, like, look at me. We do it in this, like, more humble, discreet way that we think more so would be okay. But really, in our own heart, it's like, I'm the example. If you would just do what I do or follow my lead, then God would be happy with you. I think on some level, that's where Nicodemus was at. Here's another question. Do you struggle to be teachable when it comes to the things of God like you got it in the bag? Now, now, again, I don't think any of us would probably say, I know all there is to know, right? I mean, the Bible is a big book. There's a whole lot in there, right? But at the same time, In our heart of hearts, we think we do. At the same time, in our hearts, there's a struggle to be, like, teachable. Here I am, this teacher of these high school students, and I've been entrusted to teach them God's Word from the faculty. In that moment, God's like, you're missing it. You're you're missing it. we got to rework some things. And I was confronted with the gospel. And I had a choice to be teachable or not. And only by God's spirit um, did I come to that conclusion that, okay, we're going to walk here. I don't know how this is going to look. But here's what's crazy. Um, in, this, in the scripture where it says, let's continue reading, verse, verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Okay, like, that word you, who who do you think that Jesus is talking to? Anybody? Who's he talking? Come on. Thank you. Nicodemus. Very good. Again, this is like a trick question. Well, it wasn't, but it kind of is. Okay, so here's the trick part. It's a good job. Um, so it's Nicodemus, but listen, we don't see it. That word is plural. In the original language, that word is plural, and here's the deal. Jesus is looking at Nicodemus, and he's talking to Nicodemus and his 70 friends, who are the highest members of the religious class, of the the ruling body of the Jews. And he's like, you must be born again. Now, what, what, what is he saying? He's confronting them with the gospel, and he's like, listen, the means by which you walk out your religious activity, um, your ability to seek to please me through your religious works. That's not how you get into the kingdom of God. Because you notice in verse 3 he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But then the next step was, unless one is born again, he cannot enter. So even the ability to see is one thing. But then the ability to actually enter into the kingdom of God. And here's what the kingdom of God is, simply put. The rule and reign of Jesus being established in all spheres of life. 
He's like, you might be one of the most religious people on the planet, but you're missing it. You're missing it. Here's what's interesting. Um, As a kid that grew up in a Christian home, grew up in the church, I think on some level the same deal as Nicodemus, the Jews thought they were in. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they're the they're like the chosen people of God. He's like, what do you mean? Like I'm a Jew. In fact, I'm one of the Jewish leaders. Kind of like I could be like, what do you mean? I'm a Christian. And my parents are Christians. And my grandparents are Christians. And look at how I worked my spiritual heritage. No. Because I had anything to do with the fact that my grandparents trusted Christ. No. And what's interesting is Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Like, listen, we're all born and we're flesh. And I don't care what ethnicity, I don't care what people group, I don't care what your family heritage is like. You're flesh. And if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, there's a spiritual reality. You have to be born of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's be careful here because there's a, there's a part of the text here that um, is interesting because it, it, it says like water and the Spirit. So unless one is born of the water and the Spirit. Now, this is one of the most highly debated texts in Scripture, um, and I'm going to answer it in about three seconds. They should have just asked me. Not really. Um, but here's, uh, here's how I would understand this passage, and I'm going to just put it this way. Um, I'm going to take you to Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, I don't believe when it says, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Um, I don't believe it's talking about baptism. Um, North Church does not believe that baptism is a necessary component of salvation. We believe it's, it's a step of obedience after salvation. Okay, um, but you go back to Ezekiel, and, and here's what it says. Ezekiel 36, 25, and I believe water, here's what water is symbolizing. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So it's talking about the cleansing power of God. And I will give you a new heart. Listen to, listen to the proactive language of God. Like, I'm going to do these things. I will give you a new heart, and I and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your heart of flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, or, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. And be careful to obey my rules. Um, I love what theologian R.C. Sproul, he puts it this way. Man's natural tendency is to flee from the presence of God and to have no affection for the biblical Christ. Therefore, if you have in your heart today any affection for Christ at all, yay for you, right? If you have any affection in your heart for God, like look at you, like running to Jesus. No, uh-uh. If you have any If you have in your heart today any affection for Christ at all, it is because God, the Holy Spirit, in his sweetness, in his power, in his mercy, and in his grace, has been to the cemetery of your soul and has raised you from the dead. You are now alive to the things of Christ, and you rejoice in the kingdom into which he has brought you. Here's a probing question. Do you wrestle with the fact that 
the sovereign God is ultimately in control of your salvation. Okay, like, this week was like, like crazy. I read this like mom's blog, which is, was just kind of, I don't know how I stumbled upon it. It was like this m- blog for moms about parenting. It's like perfect. Like this fit. No, like, uh, but, but it, like I sent a text to my wife and I was like, babe, you got to read this. Like it's absolutely undid me. And it was all about the nature of parents over parenting to the control of their kid. Like, I'm going like, to control you so much that, like, I'm going to be the determining factor that you take the necessary steps to be the person of God that I've called you to be and that you become this bright, shining light for Christ. Absolutely, I believe that parents play an unbelievable role at shaping and influencing and teaching and setting up success for their kids. But you know what? I know a whole bunch of kids who have unbelievable godly parents that are off the deep end. Terrible parenting? No. No. Couldn't have done it better. But ultimately, God's the one who works salvation in hearts. God's the one who opens eyes to see the kingdom. And I will work my tail off to teach the gospel to my kids and to our foster kids. But more than that, I'll beg God. I will beg God. God, you got to do this in them. Otherwise, they're just going to change their behavior to please dad. And once they get out of dad's house, they're gone. I think we make salvation way too much about us. Nicodemus was absolutely baffled by these truths. In fact, Nicodemus in verse 9 says, how can these things be? He's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then the text goes into this unbelievable passage making the gospel explicit. Um, so I want to do something different. And this is going to be completely weird and it's going to completely throw you off, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want you to think of a time in your life when you were challenged in a way of thinking. Okay? Think of a time in your life you were challenged in an area of thinking or an area of perspective where you, you had this like, paradigm shift or you had this paradigm that, that someone began to kind of press on and begin to help you think differently about something. Okay? Thinking, thinking, got something? Okay, now I want you to share it with somebody next to you. Ready, set, go. Told you it was going to be awkward. Okay, awkward. We're, everything's awkward. Okay, no longer awkward. Ready, set, talk to one another. It's okay. I know it's church. I know like you're like, we're well, not supposed to talk. Like we got in trouble for doing that growing up. Go. Something in your life, a, a way a paradigm was shifted.
Okay, now, come back to me. Now, picture Nicodemus, okay, walking in the way that, here's how he's always walked, here's how he's been taught, and Jesus comes along and, and wrecks him, right? Absolutely begins to shift his paradigm of who he is, and what he's done, probably in some of the similar ways that you just interacted with. But we're going to get even deeper here. Pick it up at verse 11. Where Jesus makes the gospel absolutely explicit. He says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Like you got to wonder, like, that just stepped on Nicodemus's toes. Like, I'm telling you earthly things, like natural things. Like, we're talking about childbirth, and you can't even understand that, let alone understanding the things of God, the, the things of the Scriptures, the things of my Spirit. Verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the, into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. Listen, this is Jesus' response to Nicodemus. To challenging Nicodemus regarding his view of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And he uses a story that you may or may not be familiar with, Numbers 21. Kind of a pretty cool story, kind of a pretty scary story. Um, So uh, Israel uh, is complaining, like they had their PhD in complaint, okay? Um, They complained all the time. They were experts in complaining. Uh, And and likewise, God was experts in, like, you know, plagues. So uh, they're complaining about what's going on. And uh, like this manna, like really, like we're tired of this manna. We need something else. Like really, you brought us out of Egypt. Like let's go back to slavery. Complaining, complaining, complaining. God says, okay, you want to complain? Um, There's a pit right over there. Enter the pit. Um, And gave them a plague of uh, venomous snakes deadly poisonous snakes. Can you think of anything worse than being thrown into a pit of poisonous snakes? Anyone think that would be a, a tremendous experience? All the Tulsa people are like, yeah, what's that? Um, Mike, we probably should talk later. Anyway, um, so, so, so picture that. Here in this moment, like you have people that are watching their friends, their family members being bitten by these snakes and dying. Okay, now, Like any good leader, what does Moses do? He cries out to God on behalf of his people. He's like, these are my people. Like, please stop. Like, is there any other way? And here's what happened. God says, Moses, here's what I need you to do. I need you to 
I need you to take some bronze. I need you to make a, a snake. I need you to put it on a pole. I need you to hold it up in the air. And anyone who's bitten by one of the snakes who looks to the serpent that's lifted up will live. Okay? Now why in the world would Jesus bring up that story to Nicodemus? Okay, one, Nicodemus was well-versed in the Old Testament. Knew it very well. Okay? So when Jesus starts telling that story, it's like, oh yeah, I know that. Like my great-great-aunt's grandson was like killed by the snake. Like, he's like, I don't know if that's true. I made that up. So, um, but he knew the story. Okay, but, but look back at the passage. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, not that like you need to lift up God and exalt God. Okay, so when it says like lift it up, it's not talking about exalting God. Here's what it's talking about. It's saying, Jesus has got to go up on the cross i got to get up on a cross. The Son of Man's got to get up on a cross, be lifted up on a cross, and be crucified. But here's what he's saying, plain and simple. The cross is necessary for salvation. The cross is necessary for new birth. The cross is necessary for the Christian to faithfully and fervently walk out the things of God every single day to live in the hope of eternal life every day. Okay? Not as just an event of the past to build a foundation off of but as an event of the past that shapes everything regarding redemption and everything regarding the entrance to the kingdom of God into every sphere of life. This is his response to Nicodemus, a religious man. He's like, listen, you need a savior. You're horrible at being your own savior. You're horrible at being your own God. You need a savior. You think you know it all. But listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's just not a verse that we just all know. And, you know, what we do is we rip it out of the context, right? Powerful verse, life-changing verse. But in the context here, it's confronting a religious man with the truth of the gospel. Now, now here's the deal. Here's the hard thing about the truth of the gospel and being confronted with the gospel is that there's hard truths in the gospel because several things that are taught out of this passage are that God loves us. He loves everybody, right? This universal, like, salvation for all, see you in heaven mentality, right? God loved the world that he gave the Son that whoever believes, okay, belief is a necessary component when God, when God tra- transforms our heart through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, as I talked about earlier, the wind, where the wind blows whatever, wherever it wills, we don't understand the things. Like It's miraculous. But for us, 
to think that salvation is just for all. And everyone automatically is in. That's, that's not true. That's a hard truth that's present in the gospel that there is, according to verse 17 and 18, a level of judgment and condemnation for those who do not believe. And the Spirit of God does not quicken and awaken. And those who don't turn to faith in Jesus Christ, there's condemnation and there's hell, eternal destruction. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, like, this is the truth. That you, as someone who I'm beckoning you to enter the kingdom of God, that you begin to teach the truth of the gospel. He's making the gospel explicit. I wonder if maybe there's someone here that don't know Christ and might come to the realization today through the explicit teaching of the gospel. That you need a savior. You can repent and turn to the Lord today. I wonder if there's some Christians in the room that maybe, like myself, tend to live my life outside of a need for a savior. Tend to live my life in such a way where I like I'm okay. Like I'm doing okay. I'm making decisions that are safe and easy. And maybe part of being confronted with the gospel this morning would be that God's pushing you to, to grasp some truths that you don't like. So there's a lot of truths in the Bible I don't like. But I'm not God, and I don't determine what's truth and what's not truth. I just beg him to help me realize it and help me grasp it and help my unbelief. But maybe to begin living as Christians who, like, I need a Savior. Like, not like I need to be saved because I haven't been before, but I'm in need of God to intervene. Just like Jeff talked about at the beginning. Like, I'm in need of God to intervene. I'm in need for the Holy Spirit to actually quicken me and awaken me to walk out these things, to understand these hard truths. You know how the gospel has been confronting me the past couple weeks? That I would, I would let go. I would stop parenting so much, but be no less of a parent. I would stop pastoring so much, but be no less of a pastor. Do you get that? And I don't know where God's pressing you, know, what God's doing in you. But I think on some level, we take way too much into our own hands, into our own responsibility. Here's what's crazy about Nicodemus. Okay? Listen, we don't know how he responds to the gospel. Here's what we do know. We do know that he stood up for Jesus at his trial. Okay? And we do know that he saw to it that, that um, Jesus had a proper burial. Okay, but in the end, we don't fully know if Nicodemus responded to the gospel. We don't fully know if he continued pressing in when he was confronted with the gospel, if he responded or if he just continued being a person of the night. Okay, look. Look at verse 
19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Man, I wonder if Jesus is talking straight to Nicodemus. He's being a man of the night. And being a person who can tend to just have a deep, dark spiritual condition that wants to deny it in light of his religious behavior. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out by God. You know what that is? That's the quickening work of the Holy Spirit. Actually enabling you to be who God's called you to be, to do what God's called you to do, to walk in this life. To endure whatever you're enduring. That it would be carried out by God. So how's the gospel confronting you this morning? And in these days. And are you teachable enough to hear it? Or maybe you don't know how the gospel is confronting you. At the same time, you're just firm. You're just that teacher of the law. I know it like. Or is it possible that maybe God wants to wreck you? Like he does so well sometimes. To see him in a new light. To see the gospel more clearly. To see the need for Jesus more clearly. How's the gospel confronting you? And how are you responding to it? Let's pray. Jesus, we are in desperate need of you. Forgive us for times thinking that we're okay. Forgive us for times thinking that we don't need you. Forgive us for times for not being desperate for your saving work to take root in our in the hearts of those who've been Christians for years. God, would you sanctify us in you? Would you propel forward the saving work of your Son in our hearts every single moment of every single day? We need the cross just as much today as for those that are Christians the day you saved us. So the gospel and the cross are necessary for every single person in this room. God, would you make us teachable? Would you by your spirit miraculously work where none of us 
can change hearts. Or maybe there's some in this room that deeply desire to change, deeply desire it, but there's a war within them. And God, only you can come and intervene there. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.